Support for this episode comes from Viator. Experiences are what people love the most about travel. That's why Viator has over 300,000 bookable experiences, so there's always something for everyone. They offer everything from simple tours to extreme adventures. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Talking About podcast. I am Sean Kennedy. We with you on the line is Dave Early. Dave, the Sixers are red hot. They're four and zero on their West Coast trip. They're winners of seventeen of their last twenty one games. Uh, before we go into all the good tidings, how are you doing this week? Doing well. Sixers are on a four game winning streak, so that helps. Yeah, always good to lift the spirits, even if you, even for us on the East Coast that maybe can't catch. Uh, the entirety of all these games that are taking place at an ungodly hour. Yes. But um, yeah, so still a great trip for them. Uh, they, they're looking to finish off a perfect five and O trip tomorrow night in Sacramento. Um, let, let's talk about this first, Dave, with the recent run of success, they're now tied with Milwaukee for the second place in the Eastern conference. And as well as the fourth best record overall in the league, uh, does this change your perception of the team's ceiling at all? Or are you still kind of in the same camp you were a couple weeks ago yeah it changes my perception I uh you know I guess we've talked a lot about should they be load managing and if they did obviously it increases their chances that they can get to the playoffs healthy as we learned last season you can do that and still get pretty badly injured um so I think the way they're looking at it is we can increase our ceiling forget our floor um if we just push through and get that two or the three seed because there's a huge difference between pushing for the two versus the three and then the four or the five. If you if you get stuck in that four or five, which is where you and I probably expected to be targeting a week or two ago, right? Then you could be ro- looking at a road to the finals of like Cavaliers or Brooklyn first, then Milwaukee, then Boston. And that's just so hard. All of a sudden, you're starting to think, you know, Harden's looked the best he has in the uniform to date, and this team could actually get a two seed. You kind of like your chances if the Bucks came to Philadelphia in the second round. Yeah, the road would be a lot easier with you're playing someone coming out of the play in tournament. So maybe like a Chicago or Atlanta or someone. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. And then, changes. yeah, so you got that. And then, as you said, home court advantage. It's, it's it's a stack top of the conference. East is really strong this year, but you feel better about a second round series where you have home court advantage versus having to start out on the road. So, um, yeah, the two seed is we're we're going to talk in a moment about how realistic or how likely you think the chances are of the Sixers grabbing it, but definitely a a, a reward, a prize that they should pursue. Um, for for me that the ceiling just changes in terms of how, how good we've seen Joel and James Harden play together recently. Um, they, they, after, after the acquisition last year at the trade deadline, there hadn't been a ton of time for those two to kind of work their games out together and, and get on court reps. Uh, it was a big topic coming into the season. Like, Hey, we only played 
I forget what the number was, but like 20, 25 games together or something like there's a lot we still have to learn from each other. And th that was one of the outlooks of optimism coming into this season. And then, of course, the injuries happen. And you're like, oh, this they're, they're snake bitten. What are they going to do? But now that the team's gotten healthy again and you see the stats like Harden has assisted to Embiid more than any other duo in the league, despite the infrequency they've they've been on the court together relative to other guys this year due to, yeah. due to their injuries like you're like you're starting to think that they, they really have something like Embiid's just a hair below Luka Doncic for the the scoring title I think James I, I believe he'll be leading the league in assists once he's eligible based on games played or or is he would he be second I'm, I haven't I think he'd be first I, yeah I, I think I, I thought yeah I thought so too um so you got basically the premier scoring duo in the league with James assisting Joel, that's something that'll translate into the postseason. And in the past, the problem was always, well, they, they struggled to get the ball to Joel because either he's got a fight down low and guys were terrible at entry passes. And it was just really <laughs> straining on him to like fight for position. And then when he finally got the ball, maybe there'd be like seven seconds in the shot clock and he'd have to, like toss something up um, or, or the alternative was give it to him 26 feet from the basket, which, you know, he's capable. And for a man of size, he's ex exceptional from, from that area, but that's not, then that's not the most efficient way for Joel Embiid to attack defense. But, but now you have him and James with their pick and roll game and, and James able to set both Joel up and everyone else up spotting around the arc. That's a recipe for success in the postseason. So I think it'll make the Sixers offense, especially when teams hunker down in the playoffs, it'll, it'll only help them. Um, like it'll be a, a tenfold increase in, in, in their success rate versus what they were able to do in, in the past. Uh, yeah, so that, that... James, 11.2 assists per game is one more per game than the next best Tyrese Halliburton. He's not yep. quite eligible in terms of games played, but as soon as he is, he'll be leading the league yep. uh, so, by by a margin. Right. So there you go. So you got the guy just on the cusp of a, another scoring title and the guy leading the league in assists. So that's just seeing these guys together and how everyone has fit around them when this team has been healthy. That's changed my outlook more than anything. Um, so let, let's talk about that two seed because, as you said, that is – a covetous position um, looking at the shape of the East, the current state of the rosters and injuries and everything. What do you think the chances are for the, for the Sixers to get that spot? Let's see. I'm going to look up on 538, which projects the Sixers to finish in a tie with the Bucks. It says, if you check the Sixers win total, it's 50.5, which is actually where it started before the year. You remember that we talked about it. And 538 has them finishing in the three seed behind the Bucks. The Bucks would possess the tiebreaker, I believe, because they won in Philadelphia, right? As of now, yeah, um, I, th I think play three more times. I think, yeah, right, right now they would have the tiebreaker. I don't know if that could change based on. The, then there's future. teams like Cleveland and Brooklyn who will be right around that mark in the high 40s or low 50s. So I don't think you could put it very high that they would get the two seed at this point, maybe somewhere around 30% because there are three teams vying for it at least. Um, but it's doable. It's doable. They have the talent and 
the way Embiid and Harden have looked, like you mentioned, you know, Joel talked about it after the Portland game in his dig towards Hakeem Olajuwon, I think we'll get to later, but he, he talked about how much he and his longtime skills trainer, Drew Hanlon, studied where to attack, where he's comfortable attacking, where Doc Rivers asked him to pick his favorite spots because what we saw in that Miami Heat series was him battling for post position and not being able to get the ball and not even that league leading assist guy being able to get him those entry passes either. But now this team looks really comfortable getting Joel the ball in his spots. I mean, Harden is just mesmerizing us with these with his pocket passes, setting him up for those you know, eight-foot mid-range jumpers, which are closer than free throws for Joel. He's been hitting them all day. Yeah, those plus the transition stuff where, where Harden fires those half-court or three-quarter court passes, and Joel's been doing a great job running the floor. And he's getting two or three a game of just easy buckets in transition that uh, it, it's great that he doesn't have to... He, he's sprinting the court, but he doesn't have to battle physically um, these other big guys down low to get the ball in scoring positions. And he's getting, he's getting a few points a game just off those. Yeah. I think it'll be a dead heat between them, the Cavs, the Nets. I mean, obviously Kevin Durant's hurt for now, but the Sixers have to stay healthy if they want to stay in the running too. Um, but it should be close. Who gets that spot? Yeah. Their, their record is just so tough. They're, they're, Upcoming schedule. I mean, their schedule. Yes. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, that's that's definitely working against them. They do have, I believe, they still have the hardest remaining schedule in the league. So, and and they have a a number of more road games still to play than they they had a, a schedule the first half of the season that was tilted towards home games. So, and more um, games and less days, all kinds of things working against them. Yeah. So yeah, three three more games on the road yep. than than at home th- throughout Hardest. the rest of the season. So hardest the rest of the way of, in the whole league. Yep. So that's tough, but I think, I, th- I think Brooklyn's kind of out of the running with, with the KD injury. I mean, we'll see, but they've lost four straight. They, they seem to be spiraling a bit since that happened. Um, so I'm a little less worried about that. Cleveland. I'm not as worried about, I think they're a great team, but I, th- I think they're still like one year away. Maybe it, it's hard to, to come together with all these with Donovan being a new part and they still have a, a few, they're still pretty young as, as a group that for them to get a two seed already, that'd be a pretty exceptional achievement on their part. Um, I, I, I really don't see that happening. So I, I think it's kind of down to the Sixers or the Bucks. And but the Cavs are so young. I mean, even if you don't think they could make a deep playoff run, it does feel like they could be fresh enough to win enough regular season games. Yeah, maybe, maybe the schedule. they don't need as much load management for for some of their young guys. They they just can be a little fresher towards the back quarter yeah, of the season. Imagine watching a game and not having to think, "Oh no, I hope he's fine." Every <laughs> play. <laughs> yeah, that, well, we're not in that boat. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be a long time before we can say our best player is uh, young, and we don't have to worry about injuries all the time. <laughs> yes. Um. But yeah, it's yeah. That's a good point about Cleveland, but I, I still I'm not as worried about them as I, I feel like it's kind of between the Sixers and Milwaukee at this point. Um, so yeah, we'll see. I mean, as we said, Sixers have the hardest schedule. Bucks are still a great team. They're they've gotten Middleton back now, so they're they're in a better health position than they were at the start of the year. Uh, so 
it'll be tough, but where the Sixers have been playing recently, that's that's all you can ask is that they're in the running now. Rather than a few weeks ago we're like, oh well they're they're six. Like, I at least hope they get home court advantage in the first round. Like I know. <laughs> so lot lot better position right now. So we'll see. Hopefully the, the winning ways continue. Um but good good one one eighty as in terms of sentiment around this team from a few weeks prior. It is, yeah. This this streak has been really impactful. Yep. All right, we're going to take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. When we come back, we're going to talk more about the starting situation and and Doc Rivers's quote unquote th- three different starting lineups. Is there a reality to that? What do we think about what they've been doing recently in terms of the starters, and also some Joel Embiid talk. All right, Dave, we're back. So. Recently, ever since uh, the Sixers got fully healthy, before they were just looking for anyone to, that could suit up and start. Now, now they have a kind of an embarrassment of riches, and Doc Rivers has declared that they have three different starting lineups. So far, we've seen we saw the traditional starting lineup for a game or two, but the last three games we've seen DeAnthony Melton subbing in for Tyrese with the start with the opening day starting group, and Tyrese coming off the bench as a six man. And in one sense, it's worked in that Tyrese has uh, powered a couple runs led by the second unit. Um, Two games ago, he had 11 straight points to start the fourth quarter, and that was really kind of a game-deciding run for the team in their win. Uh, And he's, He's had good games coming off the bench, and he's still playing over 30 minutes, and Doc said is, you know, did the usual. It's not who starts, it's who finishes, and he's still going to have 30 to 35 minutes a game. So it's not, let's not worry about when they come exactly, but I don't know. There's a lot of mixed feelings about this. Dave, what are your feelings and thoughts on, on, on the new arrangement? Yeah, I've already heard. You've probably seen some people on Twitter saying, are you sure he's going to change these lineups or is this just how he's going to do <laughs> yeah, it? Yeah, it's been, it's been the last three. So it, it's, it, there's not a lot of mixing and matching based on matchups so far. So you can wonder, was he easing Tyrese into that? Uh, you know, Doc claimed that Tyrese called him and offered it. And, um, you know, we had a great piece on our post about Tyrese's maturity being the key to allowing that to be the case. Um, yeah. And, and people, I don't think are going to give Tyrese nearly enough credit for that. It like, imagine East 21, right. And you're coming into the season you have like potential all-star expectations for yourself and he's, he's playing exceptionally well prior to the, the injury in November and there was real buzz around. Yeah. He, maybe he could be an all-star. He's, he's playing as the second best, he's been better than Harden really. If we, if we really look at things at, at the first month of the season and there's yeah. all this great buzz, then, then the injury happens. And now he's, he's back to being like a, a third or fourth option. He's coming off the bench, like, He's got a, a contract extension negotiation coming up. Like, none, none of this is good from a, an individual perspective, but um, for a guy that's always said it's not about me, it's about we, and just seems like from all indications, he's just an outstanding person, an individual that is really not going to be selfish in any way, shape, or form. It it seems like there, there couldn't be a better candidate to try this with, but I... I, I 
I, I don't think people are going to recognize that enough, like what a sacrifice it is for a guy in his position. Yeah, and he, you know he'll say the right thing. You could tell the way he talked about it. He do, he was clearly disappointed. I mean, yeah. look, he's he's hoping for a max contract, and for him to go from starter to bench player, that's got to be something Rich Paul is not necessarily thrilled about, right? So Tyrese might might be pushing back on everyone in his yeah. life, saying, "Hey, you should fight for your starting spot." Who knows? Um, Luckily, the Sixers know. and Rich Paul have such a great relationship. They're they. <laughs> just been in lockstep with each other over the years that, that this little hiccup can just blow right over. Well, luckily also <laughs> Daryl Morey could remember just because a guy is a six man doesn't mean you shouldn't max him because that's how he inherited. That's how he was able to trade for James Harden from Oklahoma. Yeah. So they've got plenty of reminders on their roster, not to overlook a guy who's coming off the bench. They do have the right type of personality in Tyrese to try it. And they learned when he was injured with his fractured foot, that sliding Melton out there really improves their defense. Uh, what we have seen is quite a bit is Doc's ending the first quarter, entering the second quarter with a lineup like of Maxi, Trez, and a few other bench players, maybe Shake and Niang, um, occasionally Tobias, but usually uh, breaking up him getting to run the show without James or Joel for a little bit of time. And, um, I have my concerns about it. I feel like maybe James should be out there. I, I do tend to prefer the more traditional st- stagger between Harden and Embiid, but Maxi's play well enough beginning with that Clippers game um, to say, hey, maybe I can keep things afloat. Maybe we won't win those minutes, but maybe we'll break even until your starters come back. It's worth paying attention to. Yeah, it. Th- we we've talked all season about how it, how weird it is that James and Trez don't play together more because one of the the pros of signing a guy like Trez was that, hey, now you have a great pick-and-roll threat with with James. They have history together. Uh, they, that that seems like, despite Harold's flaws, that, that there'd be good synergy in that area. And then they don't even utilize that very much. So that's always been kind of strange. And they're, and they're still continuing to do that with a lot of Trez's minutes uh, now pairing with Maxi. So yeah, I agree that that's kind of weird. Um, I'm less worried about the stagger just because I feel like eventually when the postseason comes around, you're going to have at least two of those three guys on the court at all times with the, uh, the the amount of rest that guys are getting in games dropping. So I, I don't think you're going to see Harden and Embiid on the bench together once the postseason hits. Maybe I'm wrong, but that, that's that's my natural in- inclination. Um, I think it, more importantly, right now, just just keep Tobias and Maxi. As it, do, remember the 2019 team, they had the, the two the two duos that were always. It was either it was a lot of like Joel and JJ on the court together, and then Tobias and Jimmy, and mm-hmm. those were kind of the the substitution pairings they used. I'd expect something more similar to that. I, I don't like Tyrese with a all bench unit as much, but you you can get away with it sometimes. It worked for them a couple of games ago, but I'd rather see uh, Tobias and at the very least Tobias and Tyrese paired together a little bit more. Yeah, the only thing I would push back on is to say, well, we we are gunning for a two seed now. So if you think doing X, Y, and Z is your best shot to win a playoff game, you might want to start doing a little bit more of it now too. But 
Yeah, I, I, and again, I'm not I'm not against James being pl- playing with with Trez or the bench big a little bit more and just letting James be like James be the orchestrator of the offense when that whenever Joel's not in the game. But again, Tyrese has been good in that role over the last week, so maybe that's kind of the the bargain they struck. Maybe not explicitly, but like. Hey Tyrese, you're gonna come off the bench, but it's gonna be your show when when you are in the game. So that's a, a little bit of a a carrot for him to go along with the situation a little more happily. And not that he's a guy that would ever complain or anything, but you know, you you know what motivates guys as, as a coach. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> rabbits and NBA players. They both love their carrots. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, that's I, I don't know. I there's a lot of a lot of nuance that goes into this. It's a it's a delicate situation, so maybe that's something that's in Doc's mind. Um, as for the arrangement as a whole, I I don't see why you can just stick with the original starters and then sub Tyrese out like four minutes in. Like you can just you can just rearrange the substitutions a little bit, and you can still have Melton guarding opposing perimeter threats fairly often without. This uh, this monumental shift, and it, it's not monumental in terms of like, yeah, Tyrese is still playing 32, 33 minutes a night or whatever. But now, now it gets asked about every game, and it's it's just such a big topic of the conversation. Versus if you had just kept the starters and Melton became a guy that came in a few minutes and he's still playing as many minutes as he is now, but they were just rearranged a little bit differently. I don't know. I feel like there 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 was a way to do this that didn't cause as much uh, upheaval with with everything. But maybe maybe it becomes like a rallying point and like, hey, everyone's willing to sacrifice on this team, and it, it, that that's something they can they can use as a as a unifier for this group. So maybe that'll be it. But I, the I still, results I still, are there so far. Yeah, as, and as long as the results are there, then no one's going to complain. I would think. But yeah, well, we might, but. <laughs> Hey, if they keep winning, I, I I find it unlikely that we'll complain. But who knows? We I meant we as fans. There'll yeah. be there'll be Twitter complaints regardless. Yeah, that's that's sports for you. Um, but yeah, it's I don't know. It's interesting, but I I still think it could have been arranged a little bit better without it having to be this traumatic. Oh, Tyrese is the sixth man now, and y- you can say, oh, we have three different starting lineups, but. It hasn't really been the case, and it, it as you mentioned, it definitely seems to be trending too. Tyrese is the sixth man now, so we'll see yeah. going forward. But that that's the current outlook on it. All right, let's talk Joel Embiid, who, as we talked about earlier, is a tenth of a point outside for the scoring title behind Luka Doncic. He was just ranked third on NBA.com's Kia MVP ladder, up from fifth in the last edition of that. However, he was also fourth in the recent fan vote for front court in the Eastern Conference. So although he is projected as a top three finisher for the MVP race currently, he may not start in the All-Star game. So that's absurd for a few different reasons. Yeah, you and... look at the, the MVP ladder and then you look at the All-Star game and you're like, which one doesn't belong here? It's got to be the guy that hate the process. <laughs> <laughs> yep, they, they do. Well, 
At least at least Michael C. Wright of NBA.com doesn't seem to hate the process. So No, he's got him over Kevin Durant at this point, right? He's got him over Luka. Luka and Giannis. It's oh, wow. um okay. it's Jokic and Tatum. He has above Joel. So that that's top guys from the teams that are just top in their respective conferences. So you, you can certainly see the argument for those. Um but let let's also talk about uh Akeem Olajuwon's comments recently which you wrote a good piece about for Liberty Ballers late last night. Um, essentially, he was saying, Joel takes too many threes, I guess is what it boiled down to. He said he has all the moves. It's just how you leverage them. Like, and why, why does he take so many threes? And then he credited Jokic as a guy who uses all the right moves. And he really pointed out that his, his fakes are great. You never know when he's going to fake or when he doesn't. And it's weird that he would, discuss those two guys in that light when Embiid takes less than a three more per game than Jokic. And as you discussed in your piece, um, as a percentage of their shots, they each take the same amount of threes. So I don't know, just weird that why does this continue to be a thing, Dave? Why for a guy that when he qualifies will be top 10 all time in points per game and does so in a historically efficient manner, why do so many people consistently like to rail on Joel Embiid's playing style? I, yeah, I think Embiid is more of the the lightning rod for the feeling that in my day things were harder. And I, if I see all these guys putting up huge numbers, I saw a Knicks fan on Twitter, uh, on TikTok, bemoaning the idea that we're going to forget how great of a player and score Carmelo Anthony was because Donovan Mitchell is going to be averaging more points than him. And so if you look at it as like, I need to defend my era, even if this is a subconscious thing. I mean, how many countless hours have we heard Shaquille O'Neal rail on how soft the game is today and how you need to barbecue chicken in the paint. And it just, it doesn't account for the changes in basketball. I mean, Joel was trying to do that to the Miami heat last year and it would have been better not to, it would have been better to just do the pick and roll pocket passing game, some spot up plays to space the floor for Harden that he's doing now. But I think if you are, if you argue these things, it makes your own legacy look better or so they think. Um, Joel's shooting threes and he's shooting threes well. I mean, I like that he takes about three a game and he's making them at about an average clip that's respectable. It makes him basically impossible to guard because you have to think about him just enough. Jokic, as we noted in that post, he takes the same percentage of his shots from distance. So, they both have seemed to find a sweet spot in their attempts. You're always going to have these guys saying they should just be doing what I did. <laughs> um, yeah. and, jo- and Joel wasn't standing for it because Joel has spent in the past so many hours trying to model his footwork after Hakeem, but he's just doing less posting now. And over the last couple of years, you see Joe spending much more time modeling a guy like Kevin Durant. You see that hang dribble, the hezzy he's doing with his left hand where he just takes it into such a comfortable pull-up where you watch guys like Ivica Zubac just look at him, like walk back down the floor. Like I was, just, I was all over that guy. What do you want me to do? Um, so Joel is a great mimic. He's a great study. And I guess it can rub some people the wrong way. And I think it rubbed Joe the wrong way to hear that criticism because my guess is he was busy on this road trip, FaceTiming his family and playing video games. He didn't actually read the piece to see that it was, about the lost art of the post-up. And maybe if it was about two-way centers, he would have shown a little bit better. Um, 
So he clapped back hard and said, you know, these old guys, maybe they don't have the best b-ball IQ because the game has changed um, in, in classic Troel form. <laughs> yep. Um, and it's got to be frustrating for him. Uh, like, he, he has reduced his three-point attempts over the years. He had the one season where he was over four a game, and then last year he was around 3.7 per game and he's he's dropped off from that uh so he's he has made adjustments to his game to be more efficient as he's progressed and as you discussed both just now and in your post like he was very clinical in looking at it and where can i be most dominant and effective for my team and and he recognized that the elbow area would allow him to avoid double teams and still be highly efficient as a scorer and everything else that goes into it. So he's doing what's best for his team and for his individual game, given the, how defenses are playing him and how the, the playing style of the, the modern NBA and for guys to just say like, Hey, you should do something that won't work as well because that's what did work well 30 years ago. It's just, your your head's kind of stuck in the sand a little bit, um, and I think Joe even I think he when he's complained over the years that he doesn't love to shoot threes, it was because he was doing it because his team needed him to. I mean, you have Jimmy Butler and Ben Simmons there, or just Ben Simmons and Al Horford, right? Who hundred percent needed him to take those four games to space the floor occasionally to get that DHO going with JJ Redick or the two man game with Seth Curry. And so he probably heard that stuff and was like, well, I don't love to do it. I'm doing it because I'm asked and it was the right thing for him to do. And now he's finding the right balance again. Yeah. That's a good point with regard to Ben. Like Joel had to, he was always the one adapting his game to to try to make the partnership work. Um, And that context, I don't think gets brought up enough um, when, when talking about Joel's development over his career. So yeah, that's that's a good point. I I didn't even think to bring that up, but that that certainly played into it as well. So it's yeah, it's got to be frustrating for a guy that every summer goes goes to, goes in the lab with Drew Hanlon and and comes back having perfected some other like uh, uh, iconic move or something. Like he got the Hakeem Dream Shakedown. He he spent a summer working on the Nowitzki one legged fadeaway shot and we Oof. just saw him hit a game winner Utah, yeah <laughs> with that um he like people put the, together these uh these video compilations of him versus not him versus but him mirroring mirroring historic greats and how exact he is with both his footwork and his his uh his, his shooting motion and everything that goes into it and he's this seven foot guy who's doing stuff that guys smaller than him were doing and he he's getting these things down in the course of two three months and he just comes back and oh that's just part of my game now and he adds it and i don't know for people to like try to break him break him down and chip away at, at what he's accomplishing it, it just always rubs me the wrong way because this is a guy that people want people want to talk about like hey get in the gym like and this is a guy that Every year he gets he gets in the gym and he, he does something to improve his value as a player to for his team. And I don't know. It's just, it's very Joel's, frustrating. 
Joel's true shooting percentage is like 10, 10% better than Hakeem's at the same age. And I'm like, obviously, Elijah won two rings. He was doing everything right in his day. But to complain that Joel should be more efficient somehow is a pretty tough argument to make. Like, where do they want his TS percent up to 70%? Uh, yeah, I I guess they just want him to dunk 20 times a game. I don't know. I wish he could. He wishes he could. Hard wishes he could. <laughs> Yeah, um, it's yeah, it's frustrating. Um, but hey, at least the narrative may be shifting with Joel back up to third in the MVP ladder. And if he remains healthy and keeps just having thirty-five point games every night, uh, the you know things will continue to change in his favor as far as the conversations around him. Um, all right, let's finish up with uh, James Harden, who has also been playing exceptionally well lately. He's seems like every night he's got a triple-double coming up. Um, but he's also talked to Ramona Shelburne early in the week, and he mentioned it was his best shot ever at winning a title, which for some people that have seen James Harden in the finals in the past or an 0-for-27 three-point shooting night away from having a really good shot at a title, uh, that was a little bit of a head-scratcher considering this is a Sixers team that while we're optimistic about has never been out of the second round of the playoffs. So Dave, you wrote about this um, and, and kind of broke it down really well for, for Liberty ballers earlier this week. What did you think when you, you saw Harden's comment? Yeah, I appreciate the kind words. I thought he was bolstering his team. I, I'm not sure that he actually believes it, but if he does, I think it has a lot to do with, I mean, you, you know, basically what he's saying. Like I've never played with such a two way dominant player that complements my game. I played with Kev, but we were like 23 years old and we were kind of just taking turns out there. And with me, Russ and Kev, uh, I played with him again, nearly 10 years later in Brooklyn, but we were all really hurt. And so if you look at my best chances, then obviously in 2018, we had a great team. But Chris and I basically just took turns as well. Now we've got a two-man attack, um, and there were Death Stars. There were super teams with LeBron, Wade, and Bosh, and then later the Hamptons Five with KD and Steph. There isn't that now. So I think that's probably what he meant. Um, I don't think it's accurate to say. I mean, if you look at it from their odds this time of the year, he's had some teams with better odds per Vegas. Now, James may know something we don't. All those teams did end up losing. So maybe this team doesn't. And we'll look back and say he was pretty prescient. He knew something. Um, But it's difficult to make the argument knowing that the 2018 Rockets were like, you know, an 11-point lead at home in a game seven. I know Chris Paul was out, but they, uh, you mentioned the 0 for 27 or whatever it was game. But Daryl Moore has put together like a film study saying, at least three or four of these were landing zone violations and should have been three free, three free throws. We would have won this game if you just enforced the Zaza Pachulia stuff. Of course, um, course Daryl did that. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, uh, so, and then he, he estimated, he went on the rights to Ricky. He was like, I think we peaked at 50% before Chris got hurt. If Chris had stayed healthy, they would have absolutely trounced the J.R. Smith, George Hill, LeBron 2018, Rodney Hood Cavs. Um, so they were really close right then and there. Um, I've never so. heard them described as the Rodney Hood Cavs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the Kobe Altman assembled weird team. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so 
I, I kind of agree with you. Like, it's more of a, and, and you, you said this in your post, like, what is he supposed to say? Like, hey, I've had better shots at a title, but we're going to give it our best go. Right. Um, so so you, you've got you've got to say that as a as a player and a leader for a team. So you always want and, to hear, like, was he asked this question or he did he just say it? And that was interesting. Joel was not asked about Hakeem's comments. He just said it. But Harden, we don't know. He might. Have yeah. Been. Is do you feel like you're in your best position to grab a title like you've you've made it clear like that's a big part of what you're you want your legacy to to be is is being a guy who gets a ring and that's why you took the discount do you feel like this is your best shot and like what's he supposed to say at that point yeah any leader would say sure yeah yeah so it's probably something that got a little blown out of proportion but we all love our hashtag content so i'm um... guilty of that i wrote <laughs> two thousand words on this topic <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's but my you... fault yeah, it's not your fault. You did it in an entertaining fashion, and it was a, it was a fun look back at James Harden's career. So if you just framed it like, let's look back at James Harden's best shot at a title and where this stacks up, that's different than saying like Harden says this is his best shot at a title. This is why he's wrong. I had to I had <laughs> to look at his apex moments. Like how close was he at this exact moment? Yeah, and he came pretty close. Um, yeah. it's uh. I mean, I hope he does win a title because I hope it comes in Philadelphia. But if he doesn't, he's probably up there with guys like Barkley who were just ever so close to a title and just just couldn't quite get over the hump um, for one reason or another. Um, yeah, Barkley AI. Yeah, exactly. All time was somewhere around there. Yep. So, James, appreciate you being a leader. Uh, I think that's the right thing to say. And he keeps backing it up on the court. So, yeah, we'll see how... Things progress. Um, him and Joel have been such a, a dominant duo, especially since they've both returned to the court healthy in recent weeks. So we'll uh, hope for good things to come in continuing in the future. But Dave, I appreciate you uh, rejoining me here on the pod this week. And hopefully the next time we talk, we are similarly optimistic about the Sixers and their their hope their hopes going forward. Um, where can everybody find you and your work online? At David Early on Twitter, all my writing for LibertyBallers.com. All right. I'm as well, and at Philly Fast Break on Twitter. Um, Thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. Enjoy your weekend, and have a good one.